Welcome to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. Thank you so much for being here today. What a treat for our listeners. For those who do not know Dr. Candace Jones, will you tell us who you are, what do you do, and how did you get to this place in your career that you're at now? Great. So I go by Dr. Candace. I've always been pretty informal. Don't take myself too seriously. That's the best <laughs> so way. Most of, yeah. <laughs> That's my brand name, my stage name, as you call it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I am a board certified pediatrician, just like Dr. Casares. And I do bread and butter peas. I take care of babies, children, teens, all the way through young adulthood. And I like to think I take care of families too and parents, <laughs> mm-hmm. but yes. more from the perspective of the health and well being of their child. And that's my focus for kids to be happy, healthy, and whole. And so I tried to look at it through that lens. And I can't remember what else you wanted me to answer. Oh, just because <laughs> you, I mean, you're not just pediatrician, like you're underselling yourself because you have a podcast, or you're writing a book. And that. So tell me like how you got going deciding, I want to take some messages to the masses. Like what were the things that you're really passionate about that made you want to kind of go beyond the office space to a wider population? Absolutely. You said it. You said it. I I got to a point where my story really was being the typical full-time pediatrician, right? And that works for most and I'm not knocking it, but something happened in my life. My son was struggling in school. He was younger, like three and a half in preschool and very bright kid, but having some behavior problems, right? And, you know, typical toddler stuff, but a little more extreme. And I got to a point where I was being called off my job and a lot of craziness, which was some of their fault because that shouldn't have happened. But I I got to a point where I said to my husband, my son needs me. You know, I need to be with him more. I feel like I can nurture him, teach him, get give, give him whatever help he needs, all of these things. I was just wanted to focus on him. And I found myself as a mom saying, I need to be a mom right now. Not that I always wasn't, but he needed more than I could give him working eight to five every day, rushing home to cook dinner, you know, all of that stuff, yeah. you know, the yeah. rat race to do as parents. And so fortunate for me, because I do realize a lot of parents can't or may not be able to do that. I I am so blessed that I was able to do that. And my husband was supportive. So I recognized, you know, how fortunate I was to be able to do that. But, But I was able to do that for a period of time, like six months. And then once I got him in a good place and he's ready to, and found the perfect fit of a school for him, because I still wanted him to be in school Mm -hmm. and did everything we needed to do. I said, now what? Am I really about to go back full time? Yeah. (laughs) You know, is that really me? And so 
all of that time not only helped me and him, helped his our relationship, helped him to get better, but I had a lot of time to take care of myself and to realize what things weren't, what were what was important to me and what I wanted to do in my career path and my life path. And and some of those things you hit on. I wanted to be more than just a doc in the exam room. I said, I want to get outside of the exam room. There are other kids like my son. I'm hearing this from parents. And there were so many other elements, you know, childhood obesity, poverty, certain communities. I've always worked in underserved communities from medical school to my residency to working as a pediatrician. And so my patients really need people to advocate for for them outside of just coming into the exam room in the clinic. So all of that was in my head and I started working through that and thinking about that. And I said, hey, what can I do? And that's what we all have to do. Think about our individual passions and what we can help, how we can help in our own little way. And so I said, hey, I love to talk. I love to educate. And I love spending time in the exam room with my patients. They always have to pull me out of the room because I'm taking too long. Hey, podcasts are hot right now. Let's do that. Let's educate some more. Let's break down some of these, you know, myths and barriers and educate some of my parents. It was really for my patients, but then it became more of a community thing where people listen to it and share it. And I go in and speak to classes about podcasting. Some I've done that. And then I've also incorporated some of the local government, like Department of Child and Family, into my podcast to then educate families on processes that could help them in their lives. And so, like you said, it began, it began to be a, for the masses thing, not just the one in the exam room, but now the community and the city and even the nation as a whole to, to raise awareness, to empower, to give, give families and kids the power to make changes in their own lives. And then I also, like you said, said, Hey, why not? You know, we have this, the American Academy of Pediatrics has this council on communications and media. And I said, why not join that and become a spokesperson? So I became became an AAP spokesperson and got media training so that now I also in my local area go on the news stations and the radio and sometimes in print to also add those elements of education and empowerment tips that I can give any point I can give them to parents so that things can be better in the, in the lives of their children. Yeah, that's so cool. And honestly, there are a lot of pediatricians. And again, like not to knock it, it's great. There, we need people like in the rooms with the patients in at the clinics. But a lot of pediatricians they get kind of worried about like going on air or being on the television or whatever. I know people say that to me. It's like, but no, I have this passion that's in me, and I feel like I can't just share it with one or two people. Like I have to share it with everybody. A few that's things. Right. Yeah, a few things you said that really resonated with me. One is I can totally relate to this idea of being with a family and feeling like I wish I could just spend like the next three hours going through with you all these things that I really want to like impart or like talk about or have a one on one, you know, with you on and then not having the time. And I found that doing my website and writing similar to you was like this way of really getting the whole thing out there, like writing the thesis, you know what I mean? That's right. (laughs) Whatever. And then sharing it. And then the other pieces I have found the more that I talk to people on the podcast and just in general, people who are like mover shakers and really showing up for people making a difference. Almost everyone I meet has had some personal story 
about a struggle in their own life with their kids or personally that then gives them this fire where they feel like they fell down and then they use that passion to help other people. So I just want to encourage moms who are out there who are listening because I think like if you have something that's happening for you, we're all humans and you don't have to hide that, right? That is something to be like used to help other people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with your with your son when he was struggling, I'm gonna guess because I felt this. I felt this way with my kids before. Like that at first, probably you're like, "Oh my gosh, I'm a pediatrician. I should know this stuff. Like I should know exactly what to yes. do. Why is this not going the way I wanted to?" Yes, that embarrassment, the shame, the imposter syndrome. But I'm a pediatrician, you know. And I had to get over that because, yeah. you know, to be perfectly honest, we aren't taught all that stuff in school. No, no, just think that, okay. (laughs) So, I too, like I tell parents, go and do your work, educate yourself, empower yourself. So, I had to delve in and add to my the education that I already had. I had to add to that. Now I had to be a child development expert. Now I had to look into what is this? What is that? You know, and really learn a lot about my son and ways to help him. So, so absolutely. No one knows everything. Yeah. (laughs) And I had to remind myself of that, that I too need help. And we all can do better with more support and building our villages and our tribes and and screaming out, help. (laughs) I need someone to help me with this. And that's how we have made it through. And he's 11 now and he's doing amazing. Yeah. And I mean, you had this advantage of, because you're a pediatrician, knowing how to advocate for your child and learning how like the system works and what you needed to know and who you needed to talk to, to like get him to the right things and like taking the time off. How have you used that to help other parents advocate for their kids? Or what things have you learned? Like, this is what you need to do if you really want to get certain resources or if you want to advocate. Has that translated into the work you do as well? Absolutely. I definitely, that's one of the purposes of the podcast. And I like to say my podcast is a little uh, self-serving because in many ways I am picking the subject matter for my patients. Like I had this conversation in the room with the parent, just like you said, I have constant visits with my patient population being that I work with underserved populations. And I see this theme of children struggling, whether through being below grade, level or behavioral or whatever, and not knowing how to navigate, for instance, the school system Mm -hmm. and me giving them the steps, do this, do this, do that. But again, I wasn't taught that in school. So I had to go and empower myself and be better as a pediatrician, call the school, talk to someone at the board of education, read up on the law for disability and for 504 and IEP and, and put it on a one pager for my patients to say, I got you. This is what you do. If you need help, let me know. Who's the teacher? Who's the principal? What school is this? I'll have the office manager to call, you know, to advocate for the patients. So definitely that is the message. Utilize your pediatricians. If you feel like they don't know because some don't know, ask them to help you. I mean, charge them with, let me go learn this for her to get back to her, right? Yeah. And and so I use that. I have an episode called Navigating the School System on my podcast. And that was one of the ones that parents love the most. And now I even say with that one pager, I have an episode on the podcast. Take a listen. We've played it in the clinic before. And it was with a school psychologist who can 
talk people through those steps because there's a whole language yes. with the school system that even I'm like, well, that's just a fancy word for, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. And it really is intimidating for parents. Even when you assemble a meeting, there's these five people looking at you, you think are picking you apart and you're parenting apart, you know, so there's so many elements to this that can just shut a parent down and cripple them from advocating for their kid. And so that's why. So the podcast is self-serving for me so that I learn, Mm -hmm. but also so that I can in turn give the steps, give the most practical, easy tips for parents to in turn help themselves and their kids. Yeah. And that's part of our job as pediatricians. I agree with you in terms of encouraging people to really lean on their pediatricians for that or their offices. I mean, here we have a family support specialist who does just that, like goes to the meetings with the parents, helps them, like if they have a 504 plan or an IEP, so these are you know different things to help kids um, with accommodations at school, that they can help walk through the language because it's true. It's really difficult. And what I always tell parents is like, you want a pediatrician that will be like, as an analogy, like if there's like a sale that's going on at like, I don't know, Target and, you know, you can use like a special coupon, but you have to go and you have to like talk to the main manager and then you have to like get the deal and it actually ended yesterday, but you're going to get it to like extend till today or whatever. Like I tell people like, that's the type of skills that like I have and that, you know, our family support specialist has, but as it relates to school, like you need someone who's going to be like the nice squeaky wheel who gets in there and says like, no. Okay. Great. Thank you so much for helping. Who else should I talk to if you're not That's able to help right. me with this? Right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. What are some of the most important barriers you see other than just it's difficult to advocate and it can be confusing that keep kids from having equal health opportunities? So some of the other things and for particularly again, for the community that I serve and, and, and have always worked in, I would say some of the biggest, most obvious things is just lack, lack of resources, lack of income. So poverty, things of, of that nature is huge for these families. Some of the most basic needs are not being met for some of my families. Just last week in clinic, I had, and this, and it can be a common theme, a mom to tell me who I've been taking care of her kids is three kids. She's a single mom. And she said, oh, I just want you to know, Dr. Jones, that we're in a shelter right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so we, I had to stop the visit, like sit down, what happened? What's going on? Okay. Pause the physical, (laughs) pause the, (laughs) you know, and just sit with her and talk to her and then say, okay, so what resources have they give, they, you know, given you? Is there a plan? How can I help you? Those types of things. So when you're talking about higher level, her kid's educational system, being involved in extracurriculars, you know, all these wonderful additive things, here she is, no housing, no food, no, you see what I'm saying? Yep. So their lives are at a whole nother place from, from my, say for instance, my life with my children. Mm-hmm. And that's a major stressor. And it, it's a huge adversity that affects both parent and, and the children. And so those are huge barriers that keep you from being healthy. Right. Yeah. And that makes your health status worse than someone else per se. 
And so we have to, that's what health inequality is. And we have to really tackle those things. And in Orlando alone, huge housing crisis, like in most cities, huge housing crisis, totally unaffordable housing for people like this mom. And she works, mind you, she works. So the working poor, people who work one or two jobs, because there's this myth out there that if you're in that position, you must have done something wrong. Right. Okay. We all do something wrong every day and don't have to suffer like that. Right. Yeah. She works. And I have many families who two parent families, both working, can't afford childcare. I have, you know, she works and can't afford rent. Mm -hmm. So these are things that we have to first be aware of. We can't just sit in our place of privilege and not be aware of this and not say, what can I do to help. I don't feel like I do much. I just am the pediatrician. You came to me. I asked the questions, right? I have the relationship with you to feel comfortable to tell me. And then I say, what little thing can I do? Who can I call to help this mom find housing? Who can I call to get them some food or whatever they may need? Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think also just, even if you're not, of course, like a health professional, you're listening to this, this is like a friend that maybe you would need help. Like asking the question, right? Of the people around you in your community, like what's going on for you? You know, talking about the stressors, like... I did a podcast episode with Ken Ginsberg, who talks a ton about resilience with the AAP. And, you know, he talks about how for a lot of people, there are these like paper tigers, right? So if you think about like in the jungle, like where, you know, like our evolutionary biology, like kind of we respond and we have stress because previously we'd have like a tiger that's chasing us. And so then we'd have to like have our pupils dilate and like have our heart rate go up and like, you know, have all the energy go to like our butt muscles. So that way we could like run as fast as possible. But yeah, but in America, we have a lot of paper tigers where it's like, ah, we have stresses from like, you know, performance anxiety and all this, but these are like real stressors. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, it's like not like a real tiger, but it's definitely not just a paper tiger. This is like a, like, yes. If you're chronic stressors that are unbuffered, that, you know, there's no end in sight sometimes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What else have you seen in your work that the medical community can do other than just simply being aware and asking people when they have issues? Is there anything else that you've seen that people can do to, to help to reduce health disparities or from a policy yeah. perspective? Right, right. Not just, like you said, not just being aware and recognizing, not just identifying what the problems are, because, you know, we have long, long, long list of what the problems are, right? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there are some people who who are still in denial about these are real problems. They still believe that it's something you've done. Like pull your own self up, up by the bootstraps, right? right. But right. I have no boots. I have no straps, <laughs> you yeah. know? And so those people, I don't know what we're going to do about them. We just have to pray for them. But <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. But not just identify those problems, you know, continue, you know, and work in that area, but also to go upstream to the root causes, right? Yeah. And we, we, we explore that in those social determinants, but like what is really 
driving poverty, what is really driving this community to be so violent or this community to have so much crime, what's at the core of these social determinants, the low educational status here, like, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and then try to do whatever work we can to support and build those individuals in those areas. So as we know, supporting programs, referring patients to these programs, advocating to our local government officials. You know, we have to be, like you said, a squeaky wheel. I recently have a new mayor in our county, Mayor Demings, who his wife is Representative Val Demings. And I know of him, I've met him in many settings, but he just became mayor of the county of Orange County. And so I saw that he was doing Meet the Mayors. And I said, hey, I want to go meet the mayor. Yeah. I have some things, you know, I know him. I've met him. I've chatted with him. I've taken pictures of him. I want to go and talk to him about the needs of children in this county that I serve. Okay. So I have some things to tell you. (laughs) That's right. Not that he doesn't know, but how is he hearing it from what perspective, right? I want him to hear my perspective as I'm talking to my patients in these rooms and hearing their struggles. And then maybe he can give me some resources. Yes. <laughs> we can help each other. Right. And so we have to be as 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 community members, our the parents that listen to your podcast, have feel empowered to do that. Feel empowered to do that. Call your mayor's office, call your representative office, call the school, whoever, whoever, you, all these people you're voting on and or vote. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and, and tell them your concerns. Come for, empower and educate yourself and come from a place of, of knowledge, not just belief, like have the facts, mm-hmm. but educate for children. I mean, advocate for children. And so I sat and I gave him my concerns, all the things that we've talked about here. And hey, I need more resources. I have this family right now, the needs. I have this family. Right now. Like I literally was like, yeah, I want you to help my family. Yeah, you listed them out. Well, yeah. and that's important, right? For yes. politicians to hear, here are the real faces yes. that go to these problems yes. as opposed to like, here's 80 kids that have this issue. Like, hey, let yes. me tell you the story about this mom story and this Story matters. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. So I definitely think on a small level, do your part. And on a macro level, just continue to advocate as best you can. If one person does one thing, we will all be so much better. Yeah. Hi, Mama. Guess what? Our book, The New Baby Blueprint, is out in the world. We're so excited because we know it's going to help change the new motherhood experience. The bump said, They say motherhood doesn't come with a manual, but the new baby blueprint comes pretty close. You can find it wherever books are sold or check it out at modernmommydoc.com forward slash book. I also want to say, I mean, I feel like it would be remiss for me to not mention this. You know, I mean, I'm a white upper middle class, you know, woman living in a urban like area, like, you know, Portland, Oregon's not like the like, you know, most destitute city like of, of America. And I feel like the other important thing that I've 
learned, especially with my kids now, is like really understanding like, the history of generational disparity and inequality and the roots of why things financially have been the way they are set up mm-hmm. in a certain way. When I was in New Orleans with my husband, I, you and I just met at the New Orleans American Academy of Pediatrics Conference, but I was there a couple of years ago with my husband. I was pregnant and we went to the Whitney Museum that's down there. I don't know if you've ever been there. And it was like the first museum that's dedicated to slavery in the United mm-hmm. States of America. And the most powerful part of the experience there was just understanding how like every single part of America played a role in slavery. And then understanding just for like future generations with sharecropping and like all these things, how like for continuing on even now, but like for just such a long time, it's not like slavery ended and then like, boom, now we're all equal. I mean, just how this like has gone on for generations and generations. And that if you understand that, that like you said, so much of this is not just about for all different, you know, people of of color, like that this is not just about like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. There are real things that have happened in history, like that have also contributed to inequality. And and like you said, it is still contributing. It is still there. So the word is 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 racism. Yeah. And it still exists in our institutional structures, our educational system, our juvenile justice system, the criminal justice system in general, in in our health disparities. It is, like we said, a social determinant of health, just like I mentioned poverty and educational status and food insecurity. Racism is also one of those determinants of people's health. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so it still exists today. And as you said, it has been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years from colonization to slavery to everything separate but equal Jim Crow all the way up to now our mass incarceration. Yeah. And so it still exists, although we have made strides, it's still layered into our daily lives. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to and I'm so glad because I say this all the time, our white counterparts like you have to say what you just said, right? And so many are, so many are standing up and saying the American Academy of Pediatrics has the new, new words this summer, a policy statement on the impact of racism on children's health. And so everything, many of these health disparities that we have talked about have racism at their core. So it is no fault of the individual that as a black infant, I'm at risk for dying three times more than my white infant babies, you know, counterparts, right? And that as a African-American student, my educational attainment is much less than yours because there's been studies that have shown that if I have a white teacher, they may look at me like I won't attain much, right? Yeah. If I need services, I may not get it because you just think I'm bad and not that I need help. (laughs) You know, there's these biases there, right? And in the juvenile justice system, I'm more likely to get longer sentences, harsher sentences for similar crimes. So all that stuff affects health. Absolutely it does. And so we have to recognize these things, call them out for what they 
are and continue to chip away at them. And so I know there are doctors and judges and teachers who know this and are doing their part, but we need more. And as we chip away and change that climate and start to see all kids as kids, because at the, you know, one thing I love, I want to say is at the root of it, race is a made up construct. Right. It it was made up just to divide and to give power to some and, and, and take away from someone else based on whatever status, based on the color of your skin. But we know, we know the truth is Science has proven that genetically we are all the same. There's only one human race. It's only like what 0.01% of very small percentages that make up for our different hair, eye color, skin color, those different, as we say, phenotypic looks. Right, right. But genetically, we are one human race. There aren't, there isn't a white race or black race or Asian race. We keep this going. And I want one day, I just hope that it, we can do something about that because we have to talk about it that way because that's how we have it set up. But really we're all one race. Yeah. How do you think we help our kids to understand that as we're moving forward? Because I think, you know, like it's one thing to educate yourself, right? As a parent. Right. But what do you think are the most important things? Because to me, it's about like, hopefully future generations, like that I'm instilling in my kids, like, no, this kid's, everybody's the same as you. You know what I mean? Like you all have your differences, but that's not, the major differences are not about the color of your skin. The major differences are like, you know, you're good at math and he loves art. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, that's right. That's mm-hmm. right. I definitely saw the cutest little story on social media today. Two little girls, a black girl, a white girl, and I can't remember what grade they are. They look like they might have been second or third graders, and they say they're twins. And they did a news story on them. And if you tell them they're not twins, they cry about it. They get really oh. upset. They dress alike. They have brought their parents together. Two women that would have not obviously wouldn't have normally been friends. Yeah. They dress alike. They're together constantly. They fight. They love. They just like twins. And you could not tell them that they're not twins. And so kids are born pure like that, right? Mm-hmm. And so as parents, we have to keep that going. So we have to check ourselves. You know, my son, we were in New Smyrna Beach somewhere on a playground. He was the only little black kid. We're the only little black family out there because we were just driving along the beach here and we saw this playground Mm -hmm. and he was playing with some kids and they were playing with the ball and it was like, take the ball and run with the ball. And so he did what he was supposed to do. And the little boy, a little white boy called him the N-word. Oh my gosh. And his mom, it was plain as day. Everybody went, (gasps) oh. You know, right, and I just sat there like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and the mom said, Johnny, I can't remember his name. You don't see it. Where'd you get that from? So of course it's like, where'd you get that from? Yeah. You know, and she fussed at him. She handled it appropriately. So I let it go. And we kept doing what we're doing and they kept playing. My son didn't know what that was. So it didn't offend him in any way. They were very right. young kids. He got that from someone, a grandparent, a aunt, a uncle, or he's hearing it all the time to repeat it. Right. Yeah. And so we have to do our part. And what we know is kids suffer when they hear that. The child that said it is going to suffer because he's being spewed that hate, right? And that mm-hmm. divide. Mm-hmm. The ca- child that heard it, although it, because he was, my son was young, he didn't get it. But if that, that happens later in life, it does damage, right? And then people who witness it, all of us were affected by that. So it keeps hurting. Yeah. And so we have to 
do better ourselves as adults, check our biases, right? Check our, and outside of even race, weight bias, disability bias and discrimination. If I'm watching TV and I see one, someone who has obesity, I'm like, oh, you know, then my child get that message of, oh, if you're, you have obesity, you're, oh, you know? Yeah. And so we train this stuff. We teach this stuff. Although we're not perfect, we make mistakes. We have to check our own biases. And then we have to teach our children just what we said. We're all one race. We're more like we're different. Our differences, her hair difference, your eye color difference, your skin color difference is all how God intended it. We're all of work of art. We should look at all this and go, that's beautiful. Who wants to see all green flowers? Nobody. Right. Right. And so those differences should be celebrated and loved and appreciated. One is not better than the other. Straight hair is not better than kinky hair. Right. 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 (laughs) And so our teachers have to be mindful when Becky comes in the classroom and she has braids, you know, and then Susan comes in with straight hair. Oh, your hair is so pretty. I love your bows. But you never tell Becky her hair is pretty. Then she may feel inadequate. Right. Yeah. We have to, all of those little things we have to be mindful of and teach our children that and model that. And then we're building the right little individuals, right? We're yeah. building good, kind human beings who accept and appreciate everyone for who they are. And that's how we have to do it one child at a time. And, but we also have to teach our kids that racism exists, how to see it, for what it is and how to say just how we teach them about bullying, that it's wrong. We need to report it. They need to come home and tell us and we need to handle it. And we should not be scared to step up and handle it in a very professional manner. Yeah, I think so too. In an upfront way, you know, my little daughter, six-year-old, she has anxiety and she will suck on her finger still sometimes. She's six years old and it's like a coping mechanism. And, you know, we work on things and she's been to occupational therapy and all that, but she still does it. And so this little boy came up to her in line, apparently at first grade, it was like, oh, you're like a baby. You know, you suck on your fingers. You're such a baby. And my daughter, she she's telling me the story and I go, well, what'd you say to him? And she goes, I told him, I'm not... I'm not a baby. I'm just different. My mind is different than yours. <laughs> I was like, oh, sweetheart. That's like, so intuitive, right? Yeah. Like, you know, kids know that they're like, if we don't teach them the opposite, they know that they're special, you know, and right. that like that differences are good things. And so now I've been using that. Like if there's something else that she says, it's about somebody else that is a difference. You know what right. I mean? That's like, nope baby, that's not bad. That's different. You know, yeah. that's just a difference. And I, and that different is beautiful. And like you said, like nobody wants all green flowers. You want right. like the rainbow. God made us the way that we're supposed to be. And like, that's it's right. supposed to be varied, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. And it's so important that we tell our kids that because that's that positive sense of self that they need. So if our children, if children of color are, on a daily or regular basis, getting hit with your color is something bad or negative, that, that's, that's hurting their sense of self, self-worth, confidence, all of that stuff. Yeah, and so we parents and the adults with the sense enough to know better have to constantly pour back 
into them the opposite of that, right? And we have to model that confidence and sense of self-esteem and love and let them know they are the way they're supposed to be. They're wonderful. They're great. And to be positive about their culture or their background or all of that good stuff. Everyone should feel that way Mm -hmm. about who they are, where they come from and who they come from. Yeah, absolutely. And part of that starts in like the early toddler years. I want people to know about this upcoming book that you're working on that talks about discipline. Because I mean, discipline, like we always think about it, like, like, don't do this, don't do that. But discipline really just means to teach. That's so right. tell me about what you're working on, on the book. Yeah. So in the same vein, I start, just like you said, we're so on the same page. It's so important to, when you talk about discipline, so just like you are, you're writing a parenting series book with the American Academy of Pediatrics and they're so wonderful, right? Mm -hmm. That publishing company. We're just, we're just very supported and it's been a great experience, but my book, I'm working on the book, still writing it. Slow process. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As you can see, I'm busy. So I'm probably going to be their slowest author yet to put out. <laughs> but anyway, so I can share a little bit of kind of what I'm writing right now. But as you said, I love to dispel that myth because so many people think or believe or at least speak that discipline is equal to punishment or spanking or something harsh, right? It's all about misbehavior, but it's not, mm-hmm. right? It's really not. Just like you said, it means to teach. And so when we change our mindset to that, that we have these little moldable beings who are innocent, right? (laughs) They really are. Yes. And that we have to teach them everything by modeling appropriate behavior, by encouraging good behavior, by managing ourselves and controlling ourselves, not them, and our environment, not them, because we can't control anyone. They have the right to choose, right? But we don't, a lot of parents don't think that. Mm -hmm. And... So so these are the things that I'm going to break down some of those misbeliefs and those myths and then build it back up as to what discipline really was meant to be about to teach, right? And so one of the things I'm working on is this kind of five element approach of a win-win approach because parents often say, what's the best way to discipline? And you got to package it up nice and quick. Oh, yeah. 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 Bullet points. Three things. Give me the magic, you know, wand and I'm going to go with that. You know, just don't talk too long. And I struggle with not talking too long. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. We're kindred spirits. (laughs) That's why you podcast. So so I've been like, okay, I got to get this down into a a two minute pitch now. (laughs) Uh So anyway, it, you know, in, in, in line with the American Academy of Pediatrics policy statement on discipline, because that's what this is all about. Mm -hmm. You know, we definitely need to number one as parents and adults and caregivers, understand child development and have some sort of skills in managing child behavior, parenting skills, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of knowledge and work we need to do to understand kids and meet them where they are. So, you know, be an adult, but get into the mind of a child, right? So that's the first element. So there's a lot of education we need to do. Kids don't come with instructions. Don't think you're just going to pop them out and then just go with it. We have some learning to do to do it right, right? Yeah. And I tell people, you know, listen to like, you don't have to sit there and read a book. Listen to your podcast, you know, listen to audio books. Talk to your pediatrician. Like this does not have to be 
a one kind of learning, like book school learning, right? That's right. Yeah. And then number two is to work on your relationship with your child. So whenever I say this to parents, the first thing I get, I'm not going to be my child's friend. Mm -hmm. But what I say to parents is, yes, you should be your child's friend. We are not just one-liners. We can do more than one thing at a time. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. Mm -hmm. We can be the parent and we can be the friend. Parent-child relationship is so important. And I'm going to tell you why, because it's the biggest trick. If your child loves you and they want to please you because you have a great relationship with them, they will choose to do the right thing to please you. Yeah. That's and a relationship. They, yeah, and if they feel secure, that's right. That's that you love them no matter what, right? That's right. That like even if right. they don't please you, that you'll be there for that's them right. no matter what. And that's absolutely. where all that special time comes in, like just spending time with absolutely. them, building in, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so within relationship, we talk about quality time, love being a verb, your actions, mm-hmm. spending quality time, acceptance, mm-hmm. respect honesty. We talk about all the elements of a good relationship and that can, oh my goodness, can expand into your adult relationships, right? So really go into relationships and how to have a good relationship with your child. So in turn, they are safe with you, secure, trust you, love you, and want to please you. That's, that's key. And I think the other two, the third point is in this win-win approach is also to focus on encouraging good behavior. Keep it positive. Your focus should be on encouraging them to behave, right? And that's just basically positive reinforcement, catching them being good. You should spend most of your time catching your child being good and less of your time reprimanding when they do things wrong. That will drive more good behavior. Yes, and then preach. The fourth, <laughs> right, right? The, the, the fourth element is how do you handle misbehavior? Mm-hmm. So just going through so many options. I feel like parents need options. Spanking is not your only option. Yelling, demeaning, shaming. Those things are not your only option. I know those are the human knee-jerk things, right? Because mm-hmm. we get frustrated and angry and we may act out. But those things are harmful and hurtful and they don't work. And so we need to try to abandon those things. And I'm going to try to give you as many skills as I can can so that you have options on giving your child different types of consequences again rarely when they're needed yeah yeah and last the last thing is just like i said setting your child up for being good that is managing your environment you know a little forward thinking planning anticipating getting ahead of the the drama and the chaos and that's hard because that's hard for me to do Uh (laughs) you can't have a doctor's appointment at nine in the morning didn't get anything ready the night before rush in late so you're fussing you're arguing the kids are still sleepy they left something you're trying to get them so you already started off in a frenzy and chaotic so you're fussing you're you're you know all these bad things are happening right because the kids are frustrated because you're frustrated get to the doctor's office they haven't had breakfast you didn't bring me toys you didn't bring me food so you're in the exam room this is what i hear a lot because i have stressed parents as i yeah i was playing to you guys i'm hearing stop it don't i'm gonna spank you i said 
Don't do that. So you got them in this room. Everything's been chaotic. They haven't had breakfast. You're a mess. They're a mess. But you want them to sit still like a perfect angel and wait for me for about 15, 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And so then I have to say to you, next time, get up a little earlier, bring some toys, bring some snacks, play with them. I give them some things that they could do to manage that situation a little better because really they set themselves up for all of this chaos and the child to misbehave. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that's just, it. Those are my, you know, to me, if you do all of those things, you're doing pretty darn good. Yeah. I can't <laughs> wait. I can't wait for the book to come out. Write it, write it, write it. Although I know it takes a long time and I have to, to write well, like I always tell people, I can write like anything, anywhere, but to write well and to like yeah. really get into it, I got to have that space where I'm like, yes. no distractions. My kids can't be trying to climb on me. That's I mean, right. I got to like, you know, I can't be tired, all that yes. stuff. So I, I feel you, you can do it because people need it. People. Need oh my goodness. That's it. been the challenge, you know, getting the time and, and being inspired at that moment. I'm really weird. I get, it could be three in the morning and this idea of most of, my, I would say most of my quote unquote greatness, the great things yeah, I think yeah. I come up with come to me like in my sleep as a dream or some thought or something. And that's really odd, I think. And then I just pop out of the bed and I go, I'm inspired. And then I go and write for two hours. But then the next whole day I'm sleeping cranky. Right. <laughs> it sounds but like I can only work when I'm inspired. I can only work when I'm inspired. So that's why it's been taking me so long. <laughs> yeah. Well, when it comes out, it's going to be amazing. And we'll have you come back and talk all about it when it's finalized. And thank you so much for being on the show. I especially appreciate all your wisdom about racism and how we can talk to our kids really frankly and openly and honestly and directly about that and what we can do with ourselves to address it and, and not just be aware, but to like face it head on. And I would love it if you can tell moms where they can find you on the internet so that if they want to learn more about you and listen to your podcast, then they can. Thank you so much for having me on the show, on your podcast. And I want to extend the same invitation to you with your book. I can't wait to have you on. Thank you for letting me rant on about these little, these things. Oh, good. <laughs> um, hopefully it was helpful to your audience. I love the conversation we've had. This is a great episode. And you can find me, drcandicemd.com, D-R-C-A-N-D-I-C-E-M-D.com. That's my website site, Kids Happy Healthy. And from there, you can follow me on all the social media platforms at Dr. Candice MD. And my podcast is Kidding Around with Dr. Candice. And the kidding is K-I-D-I-N-G, like really kid. Yep. <laughs> kid <laughs> and you can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. Of course, the main, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, all of that. But I would really appreciate you for, for you to subscribe, rate, review, share, and take a look. And I do a little blogging, but again, I'm writing this book now. So I, I don't even know when the last time I wrote a blog because I'm writing. Yeah, no. I will get back to it. <laughs> yeah, I will get back to it. And thank you so much for all your support. And thank you, Dr. Casares, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again. Hey, hey, hey. If you loved this episode, make sure to subscribe to the Modern Mommy Doc podcast so you're automatically notified 
every time we have powerful information, inspiration, and amazing guests to share with you. We would also be so honored if you shared the Modern Mommy Dog podcast with your friends by snapping a screenshot of this episode and posting it with hashtag Modern Mommy Doc so we can spread the word and help more mamas win at parenting without losing themselves. Thanks for being part of our community.